Hello and welcome to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. In this second season of the show, host Jordan Guth is joined by a new guest each episode who knows something about hi-fi that Jordan doesn't. And who knows, while he's learning about all of this, you might learn something too. So with no further ado, here's Jordan and this week's guest. Hello and welcome to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. Today we have Martin Mensink joining us. Martin is one of the founding partners of Dutch and Dutch Speakers, and we're really excited to kind of chat with him and pick his brain of all things Dutch and Dutch. So welcome, Martin. Thanks, Jordan. I'm happy to be here. To get started, um, I kind of like getting a sense of how people ended up in the their current place by starting with that initial spark. So hmm. I, I remember us talking about how you were making speakers when you were quite young, uh, in like your early teens and maybe even before that. But what, if you remember, what kind of got you discovering hi-fi and interested in speakers to begin with? Right, right. Well, that's interesting. When I was a pretty young child, I already was very much into music. I know that my peers, they were also like five, six years old, didn't give it anything about music, basically. Um, and I, I was very much into music and I had this clock radio when I was probably around four or five years old, an old clock radio. And I just played around with the, with the FM tuner or AM tuner, whatever it was back at um, the time. Um, and I always stayed interested in both music, but also in, in the gear, you know? So when I was probably around 10 years old, I had this like a Akai mini sort of integrated set. And then I was around 12, maybe, and I, uh, I saved money. Uh, and maybe I, I got some from my parents on the, for, for a birthday or whatever. And I got some uh, BMW 302s. I don't know if you know them. They're, um, they're pretty nice, small BMW speakers. I got them secondhand. And um, I actually bought them at the um, uh, electronic store next door. Um, this was like a regular family owned shop with um we have a regular electronics what do you call that in english like um yeah an electronic like washing, store yeah washing machines and tvs and and toasters and uh, there was also a pretty big corner of hi-fi gear yeah but not like a hi-fi dedicated shop it was more kind no, of a no, general electronics not, no. general electronics that's right yeah and, but they had a pretty large uh, for for a store like this they had a pretty large hi-fi area and yeah. this was a store next door so i went there and there was this young guy, I was probably around the time in my early teens, 13, 14 years old. Uh, it was a pretty young guy, late twenties. Uh, and he was very enthusiastic. Later it turned out he was an audiophile. He had a, like a pretty high end setup. Uh, and at some point he invited me to his place and I listened to the system. And that was kind of what, what started it all for me. Like things really took off from there. Cause I was like, wow, that's first time I'm, I'm, I don't know what it was like for you, but the first time I heard that hi-fi setup was like, I want this for myself too. Yeah, for for me, like I I've listened to bits of hi-fi throughout my my early years and stuff, but that that aha moment, the way you're describing that, hmm. I had that much later. I had that um, when we were at a company in England. Um, it was Kef. I heard the blades, and I was like that's hi-fi like yeah, and after awesome. that yeah and after that it kind of it, it pushed me down this path a little bit more but uh the the fact that you had that very young is really interesting yeah because you were i mean uh, we met four years ago and yeah at the time i don't recollect you being too much into hi-fi at all actually you were more of a 
right? I'm, I'm, you're absolutely correct. Like I'm more of the video side of the house. So I've been helping soundstage for years on the, on the video stuff. Um, but as I go to these companies, as I speak to people, um, one, uh, different people have very contagious energy. So, Hmm. um, I, I was kind of saying before we hit record, like you're a, a very good conversationalist. You have a lot of enthusiasm and stuff. And I remember our talks about speakers and all that, and it kind of builds that contagious energy. And I, I kind of really appreciate that and love it. And cool. that's been happening over the years with, with a lot of the hi-fi systems. So it's definitely pushed me down the path of intrigue and interest and in, in looking to learn more. And yeah. So for you, it was hearing the blades. That was the, the initial one. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was my like turning point to understand what hi-fi was, but for you at 13 years old, you're hearing them. The next inclination, I remember you starting to build speakers, or you mentioned that you started yeah. to build speakers. Yeah. Was that directly after that? No, not directly after. So uh, around not too long after that, I I stayed in the um, in the B and W family. Well, I, I think I probably first upgraded my electronics, like like a separate amp CD player, um, and I learned pretty quickly that it was actually the speakers that were the most important. A more uh, most important part of the chain, so yeah. from uh, the recording up to the the sound being um, radiated into the room, basically, that it was the speakers and not the electronics that dominated what you actually heard. Um, so pretty early on, I focused on the speakers, and I first stayed in the B and W uh, within the brand, the brand, so to speak. Yeah. And then I upgraded, I think, to some some floor standards from Germany, more expensive. And then at some point, I realized I wanted to, I wanted even better speakers, yeah. but they were too expensive. And that's when I thought, wait a second, the, my neighbor, the one, I, the guy I just spoke about, he had yeah. some Proag Response two point five. I loved them at the time, and those had scan speed drivers. I was like, what if I take scan speed drivers, which are like very high end? Yeah. I take those drivers, make a very good, high-quality enclosure. I was confident I could do that. And I just needed somebody to make a crossover. Well, it turned out there were kits. So the first speaker I ever built was a ScanSpeak kit with a very nice uh, 9900. Oh, I'm such a nerd. A 19... <laughs> um, uh, Revelator tweeter and uh, a Kevlar 7-inch uh, woofer. I put a lot of effort in the enclosure. I veneered it. It went reasonably well. Uh, I finished the speaker. Um, it's the first and last speaker that as a, I as a DIYer ever finished, by the way. Oh, and, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, and I, I did really like the speakers. But yeah. after about three months, I was like, yeah, but this I could probably improve. And this I might be able to improve. So, I sold them and I started basically trying to develop my own speakers. Oh, that's fascinating. And that was the, around... The fact that you sold them is also really impressive. Yeah, yeah. So at 17, you're already selling speakers that you've built. Right. Well, I, I sold them uh, at a loss, okay. to be fair. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's the principle of the things. The principle, so, yeah. So that's really interesting. And then you started developing your own speakers after that. Um there was another company. I, I seem to remember you saying that you did actually have another company before Dutch and Dutch. Um, yeah, that's right. That's right. But there wasn't yeah. really much in the way of sales or anything from that. Yeah, that's right. So actually, I started this other company. Um, 
was called Synergy Acoustics. You can't find much online, by the way, because we didn't actually end up selling anything. Um, I started the company with two guys I met at university who were also active on a DIY audio forum. So they were also into audio, um, very science oriented like myself. Yeah. Uh, they were engineers, an electronical engineer and uh, an industrial designer. Very smart guys. And a, a lot of the things that we're doing with Dutch and Dutch, we already did with Synergy Acoustics at the time. Um, but there's a couple of lessons I had to first learn before I could start Synergy Acoustics, which ultimately failed. And then I uh, learned some other lessons that I could use in Dutch and Dutch, if you know what I mean. Yeah. 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 So around that time when I was in university, I also worked at a high and high five store. And hey. um, this was like a kid in a, in a candy, candy store, you know? Yeah. And what I realized is uh, all these people coming in and they're listening to very expensive, beautiful high-end hi-fi in a very nice room. And very often I had to install these speakers and entire systems at pe people's houses. And like 99 out of 100 times, it sounded way less good in those homes than it did at the store with mm -hmm. its optimized uh, acoustics. And pretty soon I realized, well, yes, the speaker is the most important component in the audio chain from the recording up to well, the, when the sound is actually being created by the speaker. But a very important aspect of sound reproduction is kind of ignored. And that is what happens when the sound comes into the room up until the point that it hits your ears and you experience it. Yeah. And particularly at the time. So fortunately, these days, things are changing. Things are improving. But at the time, nobody was paying attention to acoustics. Uh, nobody even talked about it, you know? Yeah. But I learned, uh, because at the time, I had built my own speakers, and I was very aware of the importance of acoustics, and I had a, my own dedicated audio room that I acoustically treated, that acoustics were very important. And a lot of these people who came to the store, they kept upgrading and, and buying nicer, nicer stuff. But a lot of those people would ultimately never be really content with their systems, even though they might on paper have great gear, like great electronics, very good speakers, but put them in their room and what they get is all sorts of issues. Yeah. And so to go back to the, the point I was making earlier with the, the two guys with whom I started um, Synergy Acoustics, we decided that in a lot of rooms, you might not be able to treat the room very well. So you, people can usually do some basic stuff like, like put a rug and some drapes to reduce the, the worst um, strong reflections and maybe some reverb. But most people just can like, like completely treat a room like you would a studio. Like these yeah, they're, they're not building it up from scratch and exactly. their, their avenues to, I mean, um, I wouldn't be able to put acoustic panels in any of the rooms in my house because my wife <laughs> would be like, no, get out of here. Right. So there, there's definitely reasons why people don't have the ability to actually treat a room the way that would be ideal. Right. Yeah. And, and so what we did at the time is we, uh, designed a system, um, that was basically, um, the aim of the system was to get around the shortcomings of the room. So it's not about the, just the speaker. It's not just about the room, but ultimately it's about the way the speaker radiates the sound into the room, the way it interacts with the acoustics of the room and how that combination basically hits your eardrums. That's what it's about. So you don't need perfect room acoustics. What you need is a, a system that works around the acoustics as best as possible. And is that purely 
from a um, from an electronics or technology standpoint, or is that also in the speaker design? It's both. So yeah, I'm. I strongly believe that you have to start with the speaker design. So you can't just take any speaker. Well, you can't. You could. And I mean, lots of people do that. They take a speaker. Let's assume it's a good speaker. They take a good speaker, put it in the room, and they apply room EQ, DSP, trickery to, to improve things. And that can work. If it's done well, that can definitely greatly improve the sound of a system. But if you want to get to the next level, you have to do it from the ground up. So you have to take a speaker and the way you design it, you have to design it in such a way that it interfaces with the room in a very favorable manner. And that's what we did at the time. Okay. Now you might want to know why the company ultimately wasn't a success. Yeah, uh, we sure. Were, Let's hear it. There, there's a couple of reasons. So one reason is we we uh, took our savings, or the, the three of us, and we uh, designed the system. And then when we wanted to do start production, uh, we gave this money to a company that was going to do a first production run for us, a small batch. Um, but after about two, three months, uh, maybe a bit sooner than that, we, we, we tried to stay in touch with him and he would pick up the phone first. But it turned out that he went bankrupt. And oh, we lost no. our money. Yeah. No. <laughs> but I can't put it all on that because there were a couple of shortcomings in our approach. So the system that we designed, the prototype, it sounded really good. It had, um, similar to the HC, it had a, a, an 8-inch waveguide and an 8-inch um, mid-woofer, say, in a cardio enclosure. Um, and it had sub, uh, separate subwoofers. So we actually um, came with either two or four subwoofers. To, oh, wow. And you can use those uh, to deal with remotes. Um, so we did a bit of a multi-sub approach. And then finally, as icing on the cake, we would apply equalization to ensure a good sound throughout the room. Um, it came with a separate processing box that we made ourselves and a separate six or eight channel, I don't remember, like, like a, a big amplifier. Um, so it was a very bulky system. It was very complex. We had to explain one. We had to explain to people that a good speaker wasn't enough, that they actually needed a system to work together with the room. And even if we could explain this to people and actually got it, then we'd have to sell them on two monitors, four subwoofers, um, uh, quite a lot of gear, quite a lot of gear and a lot of cables. So it was a pretty hard sell, even though it, it performed well, you know, it, it sound, sounds great. Interesting. So you, you started with this kind of more complex, uh, multi-piece kind of puzzle. Um, this was mid kind of university journey for you. Yeah. How, did, how did Dutch and Dutch come out of that then? Well, the funny thing is that the, uh, we, we quit our company. So because, because all, the, um, uh, all the issues, we were in the process of, of calling it quits. And right around the same, same time, I was approached by a friend of mine and they were uh, starting a company. They wanted to start a company and they needed somebody who knew a thing or two about speakers and preferably also had some business acumen. And they oh, thought, nice. hey, my first company had just failed, so why not? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I, and I yeah. seem to remember the way you described it was there, there was all these individual pieces that were like perfectly melded together. So you had yeah. somebody that was like a um, maybe a computer engineer and somebody yeah. else that was uh, more of the speaker designer and then all these different pieces. 
Um, That's right. When you started it, did you know right off the bat what the first product was? Like, did you know the 8C was going to come out of this or or kind of what were your yeah, thoughts? So there? at the time, we um, the, the first year or so, we wanted to go into pro audio. So I okay. had designed the cardioid mid-range of the uh, in, in the, the Synergy Acoustics system that we t- talked about. Uh, this is a technology. The cardioid is a, uh, a speaker system, so to, so to say, that can direct sound. It's directional. It's a directional speaker. And they actually wanted to use that technology. That's one of the reasons why they wanted me. Um, yeah. Because I knew a thing or two about how to design a cardio. At the time, I didn't know it as well as I do now. So in the first year or two years of um, Dutch and Dutch, I spent a lot of time and effort into figuring out how to actually optimize a cardioid. And um, before that, it had been called the, the dark art of, of, of um, passive cardioid design or something like that I, in one of the papers because it was so obscure. Nobody really knew how to do it and how it worked. So. I put a lot of effort in figuring out how to do that. And these days I can design them in, in one or two days, you know, so that's pretty cool. Um, and we use the cardio technology in combination with the waveguide and an active cardio sub because we wanted to get into um, pro audio. Um, yeah. Two of the guys, two of the co-founders of Dutch and Dutch, they were active in pro audio and um, they saw a lot of use cases, so to speak, for a full range directional audio system. So in some areas where you don't want to have a lot of noise pollution, so you can aim the speakers away from the area where you don't want the sound to go. Yeah. And in reverberant holes, for instance, you also want a directional system to improve the sound quality because the strong reflections, particularly if they are strongly colored, are very detrimental to the sound. So it's interesting that you say the pro audio bit because one of the other takeaways that I had when we first went there is... Dutch and Dutch from the beginning was kind of going after two markets. It was going after, um, I'm going to say like the, I guess the pro audio studio space, but then also mm-hmm. going after the hi-fi realm. So what are the the differences between those markets or, or what needs to change when you're marketing a product between those two uh, kind of use cases? That's a good question. So let me end the, the end, end this first uh, thing yeah, yeah. we're talking about now. So um, we, we did not, not ultimately go into the pro audio market. So we, we pivoted, as they okay. say in the startup world. Um, so we designed a prototype. Uh, we learned that if you want to make a new technology like we had, if you want to make something like that big, you need the cloud of a bigger company, basically. So because the, the rental companies, they're not looking for uh, one top speaker and a separate subwoofer. They're looking for a complete range of products. Um, so we just didn't have the, the cloud to pull that off. So um, around the same time, we didn't just work on the, on the we call it the, the pro fidelity line of speakers. We also did R&D work for other companies. And then we were unsure of where to take the company. This was probably 2015. And I said, well, we could try to give, give the early idea that I had with Synergy Acoustics another try because the concept is valid. I mean, it, the technology works. Um, yeah. And so they said, well, tell us more about that. And that's how things started rolling. And I remember that they were very critical, particularly of the complexity of the system. 
Okay. So the, um, all the wires, all the different components, the boxes, um, the complex story, because it took me quite a while to even explain to them how it worked and what it did. Yeah. And the funny thing is the 8C in a way is a simplification of the system, but there are also some improvements. For instance, we wanted to put the subwoofers in the, the speakers themselves. Yeah. And one of the guys said, well, where do, we, where do we put them? Do we put them in the sides or do we put them in the back? And then I had this eureka moment. Well, if we put them in the back, then we can actually use the boundary. And so it's uh, fun how these things go. So, um, you kind of mentioned this idea of complexity. And with the 8C, I saw the inside of that thing, and it is still extremely complex. It is not, uh, it is not just a passive speaker. Uh, it is an active speaker that has a, a straight up computer in it. It has a, if I remember correctly, it's like an arm processor. There's that's a right. lot of technology that's in there. Was there ever any chance of you designing and making a passive speaker or was it always going to be an active speaker? That's a great question. Um, no, I, I don't think so. So the, um, after the first active DSP by speaker that I built, I was like, I'm never going back to passive. And I do still from time to time for fun design a passive speaker because they're just, I don't know, they have something, but um, when it comes to sound quality and we aim for for the best sound quality. So hmm. for that reason, we we just had to, to, to go with active and DSP based. There's just too many benefits not to do that. And you were uh, talking about the complexity. Absolutely right. So the HC, like you said, is DSP based, active. It's got a lot of amplification inside. It's got a, a computer board. So in that sense, yes, it's complex, uh, and it gets even more complex when you go into the software with uh, remote updates and um, the networking stuff because you can connect them to your local network. Uh, there's streaming involved, and um, a lot of there's an app. You know, so there's from a technical perspective, this is an even way more complex system than the one we built earlier at my previous company. However, the aim, aim is here um, to simplify things. So it's, it, it is a very complex system, but we want to make it simple for the user. So yeah. that's why we decided we wanted to go with just two speakers and put everything in those boxes and hide the complexity as much as possible without degrading the, the sound quality, so to speak. Yeah. Well, and I should also mention if anyone has not seen these speakers, one, you should go check out the Dutch and Dutch website because they look beautiful. Um, but but two, the the speakers themselves don't look overly like technology driven. Like you you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell from the front of them that they are active speakers. They don't they don't give off a very um, like over engineered look by any means. They're extremely um, precise and like kind of simple in their design in a beautiful way, but the technology is all integrated in the back. Like once you turn those things around, you're like, oh, there's a lot here. And then there's the companion app as well. So you can actually do everything from the phone uh, at the same time, which is really interesting. Yeah. So back when you came to visit us in Rotterdam, 2019, a lot of the software that we were working on wasn't ready yet. For instance, they were at the time not room ready. We worked on that for a long time. Not because room was a lot of work. It was actually yeah. the technology that we had to sort of the foundation that we had to develop to put room on top of. So we, have, for instance, had to develop technology to 
um, synchronize the logic between the two speakers. So both speakers are both masters. Yeah. Um, we're not working with one speaker and then um, from one speaker taking a cable and, go, and going to the next. They're both masters and they're both connected to the network. So in order to stream music to them, you, what you do is you normally stream to, to both speakers, but then you get the issue that both have their own audio clocks and yeah. they both consume bits at a slightly different rate because the clocks are not 100% identical. So the, the issue here is that you might, uh, when you hit play, you get normal music, like the perfectly centered center, but then after, uh, say a minute or so, the, the center would drift towards one of the speakers interesting because yeah well, so what the guys had to develop and this is not my area of expertise um what the developers have to develop is a technology to synchronize both the logic so when i press press play or pause or whatever both speakers basically pause at the same time uh, but we also had to synchronize and this was way harder the audio clocks so right now they're um, they're the same. They're within uh, a sample of each other, so they have the exact same time. But this was a very tricky thing to do, and the user will never know this. You know, it's, uh, like I said, it's it, there's a lot of complexity, but it's it's hidden from from view. Yeah, the the end user just gets to enjoy the the uh, the sound. They don't have to worry about any of the other bits. Yeah, open the Rune app, hit play, and music comes out. Magic. <laughs> it's magical. Now, you, you mentioned each speaker is its own, is a master in a sense. Does that mean um, there's nothing holding somebody back from adding, let's say, more than just a stereo going to a five channel system or a seven channel or anything like that? Uh, right now, the app is designed to work with only two speakers, but okay. in principle, no. So we could definitely expand it to more than two speakers. Okay. Something for a future update. Um, the other kind of <laughs> cool bit that I remember is that um, the speakers themselves, the technology was built in a way that upgradability is essentially built in. Like you were talking over the air updates and, and stuff like that. Um, have you made changes to the sound over the course of the, the lifespan of these speakers that are essentially improving the sound quality for for somebody that bought a set of speakers two, three, whatever amount of years ago? Yes, there have been, but only small things. So for instance, there's, um, so again, this is not my area of expertise. We have Matthijs for this. He's the, um, he's the guy who does all the embedded DSP stuff and filters. Um, I know there's been a couple of things that they, he and the, and the other developers have done to improve the performance, but these have been very small things. Nevertheless, um, some people have noticed. When it comes to hi-fi, uh, sometimes this technology is almost frowned upon, where, where people are like, um, kind of trying to avoid the technology or, or kind of dismiss the technology. They, they might want to go to individual components, uh, even going back to, to records or CDs or cassettes mm -hmm. are making a comeback, which is mind-blowing. Um, do you see Dutch and Dutch as kind of going after the hi-fi audience and introducing them to this technology? Or do you see Dutch and Dutch kind of bringing more of these mainstream people that are already used to some of this, this cool technology and bringing them to better quality sound? That's a great question. So what we're seeing right now 
is that most of the hi-fi customers of the Dutch Nutsch uh, purchase the HCs, they're what we call downsizers. So there's lots of people hmm. who have big, expensive systems with floor-standing speakers. And at some point, um, they might move to a small place or they're just, I don't know, you know, these people are, uh, are not very happy with their systems anymore or they're yeah. realizing that they're, they've, they've spent a lot of time and energy and a lot of them, there are a lot of themselves that put into their systems, but it's just not very rewarding anymore, you know? And a lot of these people at some point, they're like, all right, I have a master system of $80,000 and I don't really enjoy it that much anymore, but I do still want to enjoy music and I can go and purchase some, I don't know, cheap Sonos or whatever, you know, relatively yeah. cheap, I would say. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> For some people, it's a lot of money, obviously. Yeah. So, um, and those people, lots of, lots of those people there, they're like, wow, the Dutch and HAC, is it really as good as people say? And they try it. And a lot of those people are very happy with the ACs. But I do agree with what you just said about, I think hi-fi people in general are quite conservative. Yeah. Um, you refer to the, um, the vinyl fans and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So it, it is hard to convince people to try something like this. Uh, and it's even harder, uh, it seems, to convince dealers to um, work with active systems because they seem to be quite happy with the status quo. They could sell more individual components. Exactly. Yeah. So when you sell a pair of eight C's and they're absolutely right. When you pair of, uh, sell a pair of eight C's, uh, and you do the room matching. So that's w w what we call it. When you install a pair of Dutch and Dutch HCs, you have to set them up properly, do some acoustic measurements, tell the speakers where they are in the room relative to uh, the boundaries, etc. Um, and that way you can optimize their integration into the room. We call it room matching. Uh, when you've done that, then there aren't too many flaws in the system anymore, in, in the sound. So in... Even if your room acoustics aren't great, you'll get good sound. And if you get good sound, what, what a lot of these clients of ours, they're just happy with the HCs and they don't go back to the store for an upgrade of, a, of, a, of some cables or a streamer or whatever, you know? So, um, and this is, uh, has been a bit of an issue for us. So we're, we're doing pretty well. We're very fortunate. Um, we've been making the Dutch and Dutch HC for, for a while now and our customers are very happy. Uh, great reviews everywhere. Uh, there's, it's hard to find anybody online who's not very enthusiastic about the ACs. Um, but we do feel sometimes, why don't more people get into this clearly better way of doing things? And uh, I think that, yes, there are older people who have been in HiFi for a long time and they are making the, the step to a system like the ACs. Uh, and they're very happy. But there's also lots of people who never do that because yeah. they're active speakers. They have a uh, DSP built in. It's digital. It's, and, you know, they're just scared of, of um, a lot of these technologies. And I, I would have said like 10, 15 years ago, rightfully so. I mean, yeah. uh, early DSPs often didn't sound very musical. They didn't sound very detailed in the highs, for instance, you know? Um, but the best DSP implementations these days are way better than conventional hi-fi ever could be. Interesting. 
Um, we're going to take a quick little uh, musical break here. And then when we get back, we can talk a little bit more about where Dutch and Dutch is going from here. See you in a minute. Welcome back to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. Uh, we're here with Martin from Dutch and & Dutch, and we have just been talking about um, kind of the lead up to the design and then the design of the Dutch & Dutch speakers uh, and company as a whole. And uh, to kind of kick off this after the break conversation, um, I, I just want to take a step back and just think about the idea that all speakers in design are kind of dealing with compromises. And I'm really curious, Martin, to hear about the problems that you were looking to overcome with the 8C and the compromises that you're unwilling to make in their design and in their uh, their production. As you know, the Dutch and Dutch AC are special in the sense that they're designed to work together with the acoustics of the room. Yeah. Conventional speakers are usually designed and it seems like designers have been ignoring the room that the speakers will be placed into. And I think this is something I've also seen in the studio world because uh, we sell ACs to a lot of studios as well. And one thing I really like what you see in studios, like it, particularly in the bigger uh, studios um, that have been built from the ground up is soffit mounted monitors. So their, their baffles are basically flush with the wall. And then the, the the sound has a very it's it's almost like a, like an infinite baffle. There's no diffraction effects, and you get um, a very good sound quality that way. And what you see in the best hi-fi systems that I, I've heard, usually what you see is the speakers are pulled away from from the walls. Or the, all, um, there's a lot of room around the speakers. Yeah. Um, and what we try to do with the HC is kind of have, um, in a sense, some of the benefits that you get with a socket mounted speaker, but be able to put them, put the speakers close to the wall in a normal living room. That's not dedicated to, um, to, to music reproduction. So if you compare the Dutch and Dutch's with another conventional speaker, then in a normal room, it's, it's. Yes, a well-designed conventional speaker can sound really good in a normal room with some acoustic treatment. Um, but you do have to move them away from the walls. So they take up a lot yeah. of space. And what I saw at the time when I worked at a high-end hi-fi store is what most people did with those big, expensive speakers. Uh, they actually moved them way closer to the wall than was ideal. And you could hear it. So you get this little bit like congested um, lower mids because you get these reflections and it just sounds a, a bit, bit colored in the frequency range. Yeah. And the ACs in comparison, they sound way clearer. 
more transparent. Um, something else that I noticed with a lot of speakers, um, like I said, there's a lot of good speakers out there these days. And I think that Soundstage, uh, you guys do a very good job of recognizing the better brands. Um, I believe that Doug has a very good understanding of speaker design. He knows speaker design probably better than some actual professional designers. Uh, and the brands you usually um, review and rate highly, um, they make very good speakers. And I have listened to lots of those speakers and they can sound great even in normal rooms. But there are some things they can do because most of those speakers are passive, uh, which means you have less means of tailoring, for instance, the response. Uh, you can get the flat face response or perfect impulse response that we can, can get. And they usually have a relatively wide dispersion. And now, don't get me wrong, wide dispersion is generally good. You want to radiate sound in all directions, so to speak. So if you have the space, then yes, a very wide dispersion speaker can sound absolutely marvelous. But like I said, most people, they don't have the ideal space for their big hi-fi speakers with a very wide dispersion. And these speakers might be too close to a sidewall, for instance. They're close, usually too close to both walls. And with the AC, you can uh, actually put them in, the, in corners. We do this at high hi-fi shows. We put the ACs in corners, we give them a bit of toe-in, and people are amazed that in a small hotel room, with speakers in the corner, you can just get this sort of sound. So what the ACs excel at is, besides the fact that there are very good speakers, but they're not unique in that sense. There are other very good speakers, but what is unique about them is that they sound great in, in clearly suboptimal rooms. With all of the technology and all of the kind of design, you are kind of bringing better sound to a more mainstream audience. Like a lot of hi-fi people, a lot of people that are into to kind of hi-fi won't have these extravagant living spaces that they can actually set up, uh, let alone like a dedicated listening room, maybe not even uh, adjust furniture all the time. So having a speaker that can reproduce excellent sound in a wider range of environments is definitely, uh, is definitely a, a huge bonus. Yeah, and it definitely, um, like I said, a lot of our customers are what we call the downsizers. So they have their very big, expensive, high-end, high-fi setups, and they want something smaller, something more convenient. And we do see people, uh, younger people, who purchase ACs. So they're more tech-oriented. They're not scared of digital and stuff like that. But I think that in the future, this will happen more. Um, maybe just kind of paint a picture. Like if somebody has not heard these before and they go into a listening room, um, or, or a show booth where, where you've kind of set this up, what would, what would sound different between a set of Dutch and Dutch eight C's versus, uh, let's say an electrostatic set of speakers or a passive set of speakers. If you say electrostatic or you say a passive set of speakers, well, they can sound vastly different, obviously. Uh, um, most electrostatics are dipoles and um, usually there's some sort of line array. So there, uh, you get a very strong dark rec sound usually. And uh, particularly in the reverberant field, there's very little high frequency content usually. 
and that gives you a very particular sound that has some very nice characteristics, I'd say, but it's not very universal, okay. not very all-round. Uh, usually, they don't have a very powerful, punchy bass, for instance. And so the ACs are what people usually notice when they step into a room and they hear the HCs is that they're relatively compact. Uh, people see a tweeter and a waveguide and a mid-range driver with the cardio advanced on the side. What they don't see, but they definitely hear it, is the two 8-inch subwoofers per side in the back of the AC. And what this does is the speaker works together with the boundary, with the wall behind it. You can place the speaker all the way up to the wall, like five centimeter distance. And um, what you get is the woofers work together with the wall and you get a very punchy, very powerful bass. It goes down to 20 hertz. And people don't expect that. So you step into the room, see a relatively small pair of speakers. And what you hear is powerful, big, big sound. It sounds like you're listening to a very big, powerful system. Um, so very different from most electrostatics because they don't have a very powerful bass usually. And if you compare it with a conventional passive speaker, like I said earlier, there are some very good passive speakers out there, but most passive speakers have some issues. And you hear those issues particularly in a room that is not very well damped. So if the acoustics of the room are rather lively, then if you have a speaker with discontinuities in their radiation pattern, so if you go from a seven inch mid range to a tweeter at three kilohertz or whatever, you get a clear discontinuity in the dispersion pattern and you're just going to hear it. It will sound aggressive. I've had speakers like this uh, in the past and you can never get them to sound great. So what, it, what you then might do is what I did at least is uh, put a lot of damping material in the room to kill their off axis sound, which was bad and maybe EQ the, the direct sound, but you never get great results. So I guess, the the major difference here is that regardless of the room, you're going to get the best quality sound out of these eight Cs. Absolutely, that's what makes them unique. Good sound regardless of the room. So what most companies do, they focus on making a great speaker, or they focus on making a great DAC or a great amp. Some companies do it all to make speakers and great amps and uh, great DACs and, and, and everything. Um, but they're still ignoring a very large part of the total chain. And what we're trying to do is we take it from the recording all the way up to the ear. So good electronics, great speaker that interfaces with the room well. And to, even if the acoustics of your room aren't great, you still get a good sound. Um, Dutch and Dutch, when you guys launched, mm. you went after two seemingly very different markets. And what what about... The, the Dutch and Dutch company allowed you to go after those two markets where other companies like they will focus on hi-fi and maybe years down the road, they might get into some studio stuff. Yeah, I think I don't know, really. OK. Uh, I, I do think, though, that um, a speaker like the HC, it, it's great for living rooms. It's great for hi-fi, but it's also great for studios. You basically want the same sort of characteristics in a studio as in a, in, in a, in a living room. Um, and we just, from the get-go, we decided to approach both markets and both markets responded well. So pretty early on, we were fortunate with some mastering engineers who really liked the HCs and they, um, 
they spoke very highly of them and we got traction in that market. So, so here's a here's a question. Do you find that some kind of more up and coming studios, let's say that that don't have the money to invest in like a, a bespoke studio space, will go towards the 8C because of the fact that the 8C can actually do some of this room correction and sound better in a place that might not be custom built for absolutely absolutely so during covid people were um were at home and they still wanted to work and they might have had a spare bedroom now if you put any monitor in the spare bedroom that isn't heavily treated you're not going to get great sound put the eight season room like that and maybe one or two panels and you get great sound so that was actually it's funny but that was very good for dutch and dutch because uh, particularly in rooms like that. I, I think that's kind of a key there because it's the market that is resonating or part of the market that's resonating is people that might not have the ability to change their environment, but they don't mm-hmm. want to compromise on the sound or the final output. Yeah, if you have a great chain of electronics and you have great speakers and you have a perfect room, you get great sound. Yeah. Um, but usually people don't have all three. So Hi-Fi focuses very much on great gear, great speakers, um, and they forget about the room. In studios, people are very aware of the issues of that comes with acoustics. Um, so I think maybe for that reason, it was relatively easy for us to enter that market because we actually do solve a, pr- a problem that people have. Um, a lot of small studios, they do some acoustic treatment but there's only so much that it can do um so unless you have a, a dedicated uh, room that is built from the ground uh, that costs a million dollars you basically need a speaker like the ACs. so what you're just saying martin kind of leads to this idea that um people when they look at the price of a system might not realize all the other bits that would make that system sound good in the particular space. So treating the room and, and kind of making sure that the the acoustics of the room are actually set up to allow those speakers, those other speakers to really shine. Do you find that the price of the 8Cs, well, it looks higher than, than some of the, the other kind of smaller speakers that are out there. Do you find that the value is actually in the ability that people can take them and put them in a space and not worry about the space as much as the other speakers? That's a good point. For a relatively compact speaker, I, I would have to agree. It's, it's a lot of money for a pair of speakers. They're not huge. Um, people do come in from different perspectives, though. So there are some people who say the Dutch and Dutch AC is way too expensive for me, whereas others are like, wow. How can they get this much value for this kind of money? So it's really dependent on where, from which perspective you're coming or looking at it. So the um, the high-end hi-fi people who downsize to a pair of HCs, the great thing here is that these people usually, they, they expect to downgrade in sound, but usually what they find is they're not actually downgrading. And in a lot of cases, they find they're actually getting better sound, which they never expected. So if you look at it from that perspective, you get it's it's not a lot of money at all. And don't forget, I mean, there's a lot of technology built into these speakers. It's not just a pair of speakers. Um, sometimes I do think, well, perhaps if they were bigger 
um, maybe if there were floors tender, people will get the, the sense that you get more for your money. Yeah. Um, ultimately, we have a very holistic view. Like I said earlier, we, we start with the recording and we think about the whole entire chain from the recording, electronics, speaker, acoustics, all the way up to the ear. Um, and I think uh, a system like the Dutch and Dutch AC does it better than most systems that cost way more money. Now, this kind of it's going to lead to a question and you don't have to go into specifics, but mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious, is there um, is there thoughts on a, a new speaker in the Dutch and Dutch brand that is either bigger and kind of goes to even greater sound or mm. smaller and reaches even wider an audience? Like, have you considered that? Is, is that something that's in the works? If you yeah, could share. Yeah, well, I'm actually happy to share a little bit here. I have to always be careful not to share too much because my colleagues always get angry when I do. <laughs> um, so in the early days of Dutch and Dutch, I spent a lot of time on speaker design, mostly. When the HC was released, uh, my day-to-day my -day switched to more of marketing and sales. And about six, seven months ago, eight months ago, I... I stopped doing a lot of this stuff and we have a colleague of mine is now or two colleagues are now doing most of that, the, the, the sales and marketing and I'm back to designing speakers. So I'm all, not quite, but almost a full-time speaker designer again, which is fun after a couple of years. I really enjoy the, the, the marketing and the sales stuff and, um, but I'm designing speakers again and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, I'm working in, on something that's way bigger. I'm working on something that's smaller. So there's, um, I probably can't, I shouldn't say too much, but yeah, I'm working on several projects at the same time. Uh, we're not exactly sure which one will be released first, but, uh, yeah, working on many different speakers. That is exciting. That's really fun. Yeah. And, and I've been working on the big one for, uh, a lot lately and it's going to be awesome. But, uh, for me personally, what I'd like the most is to, to at some point, make something that uh, offers the same benefits as the HC, but in a smaller package to make it more accessible to younger audiophiles. So I, and I'm not going to press you too much. We'll save that until after we stop recording so I could really dig in, but uh, <laughs> that's, it's really cool. I think one of the takeaways that I got the, the first time we kind of met and, and even now is, is that a lot of what, you really care for and strive for is the experience of listening to good music. And with that, when you're not listening to, to a song to, as like a reference for your speaker, or you're not working, what is the soundtrack to your life? What, what kind of stuff are you listening to on the day to day that, that is just for pure enjoyment? It's such a difficult question. I, I've heard you ask the question before. I can't really answer that, man. It's, I, I listen to lots of different music, so I, I can't really pick if, so I, I, I often have this, these discussions with friends, like if you had to pick one album, you know, and yeah. that would be the one album you'd have to listen to. The only album you have to listen to the rest of your life, it would probably be something very accessible for me because I, I love the more complex and deep music, but I can't listen to the same deep, complex music all the time. I, you know, it's, uh, I have a lot of like these albums that I uh, that I really really love, um, but I listen to them only once in a while. Whereas um, 
a lot of the time I'm just listening to some some YouTube or, 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 or you know just some 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 pop music. Um, I, I can I can pick anything. Like I can pick one song. I can pick one album. Or so I'll, I'll save you and I'll ask you something in a slightly different way, which yeah. is I need to beef up my playlist on Spotify with songs. Can you recommend me a song or an artist that I should check out? Or a song or an artist? I don't know. I like this new uh, Nicki Minaj song. Nicki Minaj. Uh, yeah, I definitely I'm not don't a, have any. I'm not a Nicki Minaj. What? <laughs> I definitely don't have any Nicki Minaj on my, on my Spotify just yet. No. So this will be a first. Last time I saw you. That's what Last it's time I saw you. Check it out. I, I really okay. like it. And I don't usually like Nicki Minaj, but I like this song. I seem to remember, uh, was it EDM? No, it was like more house music that you're into. Uh, no. Well, maybe no? at the time. But, uh, maybe. I don't know. Maybe at no? the time. For I have these like these... Um, Phases. I listen, yeah. So um, most people our age. How, how old are you? I'm uh, 35 or 34, 30. turning 35 in a month and a bit. Right, right. So we're about the same age, and most people our age they don't tend to listen to lots of new music anymore. I listen to new music all the time. So I, I have a, I have a way of doing things. So one, I selfishly ask everyone that comes on this podcast what they mm. listen to because I'm curious. Like everyone has a lot of really unique tastes. So I steal all their music. Um, and then the other thing is I, I use a lot of the uh, the Spotify recommended and all yeah. that. So the build up playlist just to discover new stuff. So things that I'm interested in and kind of go from there. Yeah, I do listen to music in a very different way than I used to because we grew up with albums. I don't yeah. really listen to albums much anymore. And when I do listen to an album, it's usually something that I've known for a long time, which I learned about through an album, you know? Yeah. But these days, I, I also use Spotify and, and, and other streaming services, and I usually listen to songs. Yeah, individual Particularly singles. when it's new music. And they're, yeah, and they're, and because music is, is, we consume more music today than ever, and a lot of the music I listen to, I might put a like, and, yeah. and a lot of it might, I might never listen to again, you know? It's just a very different way of interfacing with music than, than we would have said 10 years ago, you know? Yeah, it, it's incredible. If you think about the fact that people have more access to more musicians today than crazy. every other generation combined, right? Mm. Like, it's just, it's incredible. Yeah. I'm, I love it. I mean, I do get a part of the, the vinyl resurgence because you have to... Um, put effort into listening to one side of an album, you know, and, and because you put effort into it, you want to actually listen to it and you listen to it more attentively. You're more invested in the music. So I do get that part, uh, but I don't think I need it for myself. I considered getting a, a player recently, yeah. but I, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to keep streaming. It's more convenient, no cables, no hassle, just a pair of speakers and go. Do you use CDs at all? No, not anymore. Not anymore. I have, I've had them boxed up for uh, like two moves or three moves. Okay, so almost time to get rid of them, let them go. <laughs> what I about your cassette man. tapes? Are, are, are your cassette tapes still in boxes or, or what's the deal with no, that? No, I, I do play my cassettes, but only on my Walkman. <laughs> Love it. Fantastic. <laughs> All right, Martin, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, sit down with us and talk. It was a pleasure, Jordan. Thanks. All the best. All right, take care.